ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We love audiobooks and we suspect that you do too. Because you're a Soulful MBA listener, you can get an audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 136. We've got another great interview in our Women and Money series. Today, we're talking to holistic nutritionist turned business coach, Lori Kennedy. Since starting our Women and Money series, we've heard from so many of you who, for the first time, are thinking about your own money stories. You're uncovering beliefs that you didn't even know existed and are now realizing that they are stopping you from living your full potential. Our goal with this series is to unshackle you from these beliefs by telling these stories about women and money. So let's keep the momentum going. In today's interview, you'll hear Lori Kennedy's money story. I first met Lori when she interviewed me for her podcast, The Business of Becoming, where we instantly hit it off. It was so refreshing to speak with an ambitious female entrepreneur who talked openly about her bold sales goals and her belief about the importance of women starting businesses and her frustration when she witnesses women holding themselves back. I knew that she'd be perfect for this series. Lori runs an incredibly successful company with big sales and a big team, but you'll hear how Lori was never good with the numbers and actually failed high school math. She was never comfortable with having money and tended to spend everything as soon as it came in. Eventually, she learned to view debt and money as neutral and now removes all emotion from the numbers. Her self-worth is no longer wrapped up in how much money her company brings in. She describes a beautiful trust that she has in the universe and knows that everything will always be okay, whether she's experiencing a cash flow crunch or a record sales month. Lori is a Toronto based health and wellness business expert, online strategist, and runs the Wellness Business Hub. She describes herself as an introvert, an empath, and bossy. She's also a single mom of two. One quick note before we begin. Jenny is solo for this interview, so thank you, Jenny, for continuing the work while I took a vacation and explored the east coast of Canada. I owe you one. Let's listen now to Lori Kennedy. 
Okay, so welcome, Lori, to the podcast. We are thrilled to have you. And why don't we go ahead and dive in? We are so interested in learning about your business and your relationship to money as a fellow female entrepreneur who is growing and scaling and reaching success markers that I think many people would only dream of. I think our audience would be really excited to hear a little bit more about your story. So why don't we start from the beginning? Where did entrepreneurship come into your life? Was this something that you planned on? doing as a young person? How did you find yourself in the role that you're in today? It's actually a funny, I think about this a lot and I sort of chuckle to myself because I didn't really identify and I still, I don't know that I do. I think it's just a buzzword as an entrepreneur until I actually was able to hire other people. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of when it, I made the switch from like, oh, this is just like me and it's my thing and this is what I do to I am now hiring other people. So this must be like a business. (laughs) But truthfully, I've never had a corporate job. I've never worked in any corporate office. Um, The only time that I was an actual like taxable employee was when I was in my teen years. I went into the fitness industry when I was 19 as a personal trainer when I was in university. And I got my first of many certifications through the YMCA in Montreal, Quebec, which is where I was going to school, to university, because I wanted a job and I needed a job that fit with my university schedule, right? With the classes and all of that stuff. And that was my first foray into, you know, health and and fitness. I didn't know that there was such thing as kinesiology or diet. Like I didn't know about that in high school. I think my focus in high school was just getting through it um, and getting out of it. And so my entry into, I would say, being self-employed or a consultant started when I was 19. I was fired from a lot of jobs prior to being 19. I had a lot of jobs. I've probably had more than like 20 jobs, you know, from 14 to 19, like a lot of jobs. And I think part of that is because... I display leadership qualities and also because I get bored really easily. (laughs) And so when I found fitness and when I found personal training, um, I grew up in the gymnastics world and a competitive dancer and all of that. So I had a desire to move my body and be fit and all of that good stuff. And at that time also, I was healing my body from a probably birth candida situation. So I was very much entering that alternative health world when I was 19. And that was that, honestly, like I went from being a personal trainer to being a registered holistic nutritionist, which I did full-time for seven years and built up my business to the point where I started getting really good at the business side of it. And that transitioned into over a long period of time, over years, I started taking my business online, my nutrition business online in 2011. Mm -hmm. So I've been online for a while and it's just transitioned into very organically, I'd have to say. It was never an intent. I don't identify with the title of a business coach. It makes me very uncomfortable. I'm just Lori at this point with this thing that, you know, this amazing community and this company and just, you know, a very clear vision of what we're doing. And so as you started to find success and you hit, I imagine, certain milestones, did that shift something in you or... Was it just natural for you to feel, given that you have this leadership style and you have this kind of personality already? I mean, how did that change your life, if at all? I think, you know, it's a, it's a hard question to sort of answer in a 
podcast, but um, I'll do my best. Yeah. So I think that I've just become very comfortable knowing that this was the purpose. And so now I can embrace it. Right. Whereas before I was always trying to either shrink myself or make myself small or not take these big leaps or these big, what I guess would someone could see as risks, even though I'm super risk averse, or just sort of understand that there is no such thing as failure per se. You know, it 100% has changed everything about me for the better, even the really hard parts, even, you know, and I think, I don't know that that happens for everybody, but I genuinely think that I embraced it and that this is my unique journey. The fact that I've used this journey to become a better human being, to become a better leader. I don't know that everybody can say that. And I don't know that that's everybody's journey either. Um, It just happens to be mine. And I think throughout, especially the last decade, with everything that's happened in my life personally to everything that's happened professionally, I think the core values and the foundation of who I am haven't necessarily changed. I've just become acutely aware of them and want to strengthen them. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so what about your relationship to money as that was going on in particular? So money is a funny thing. So for context, and I know that this is not everybody's situation, and I completely recognize the privilege that I have. Um, So I just want to say that first and foremost. I grew up in an affluent home. I didn't, you know, I don't know what growing up, you know, financially struggling is like. So I just want to preface that. Now, with that being said, I also didn't understand the value of a dollar until I got to university. Well, it's not true. I worked from the time I was 14. I wanted jobs. I wanted my own money. I don't know why I did, but I just did. I never felt comfortable taking money always from my parents. I felt almost guilty about it. Like, and I don't know why that is because, you know, no one, I don't think that anybody showed that to me. It was never handed over with guilt. It really wasn't. It wasn't like, well, I worked really hard for this dollar. So that was not the conversation. Mm-hmm. I just, it was innate and I don't know where that came from. And I wanted a job and I wanted my own money, mostly I think so that I didn't have to ask permission for what to spend it on, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is also why I wanted financial freedom independent of any other person, let's just say spouse, I'm divorced for context. I didn't want to have to ask permission. I don't like asking permission for anything, right? That's part of my personality. And so I always wanted to be in charge of my money, but I didn't understand the value of a dollar, even when I made it myself. I never understood it. I had it. I spent it. I racked up credit card debt in my teenage years because I had a shopping problem because I was looking for the clothes to make me feel a certain way. And that obviously didn't work out for the best, um, as that never does. And so I didn't understand until I had to pay off this credit card. And I had worked throughout university. Like I had always worked and I always had money, but I never felt like I could keep it. Like I never was able to keep it. I had it, I spent it. Mm-hmm. And that became a huge issue for me as I was growing the business because I was never able to really assess 
profitability. We had it. I spent it. I was like, okay, we have money in the bank. What can I go invest in? What can I, without, you know, I'm all for investing for sure. We still do it to this day, but it wasn't a positive. And I can recognize that. Like it was, well, I have money there. So, and the bills are paid. So I might as well just, you know, go for a $250 dinner or, spend it on a course or this or that. I didn't feel probably similar to the shopping thing. And likely as I became more adult, my uh, relationship to food, I didn't feel, I guess, worthy of having it, Hmm. right? Like worthy of having it. I also, to be totally honest, had zero financial literacy. Like I knew nothing about money. I think if you would have asked me then, somebody would have been like, you're saving money for what? Like it didn't even occur to me or did I even have the wherewithal to ask, like, should I be saving money for something? (laughs) And so that was the early years with money for sure. And there's been two times in my, I would say the last decade of my career and my company growth where the first time where we got into a serious cash flow situation where we had to go and borrow money from family that's, I was still married at the time and we were growing the business and we didn't understand how to manage cash flow and we got into a predicament. And then the second time was probably about a year and a half ago where we didn't get into a predicament, but it was just enough to show me you're not being as cautious and careful with the numbers as you need to be based on the level at you're at at this point where you have a lot of mouths to feed. And so the relationship with money has definitely transitioned over time, which has been, I think, super interesting if I even make a parallel to like my own growth or my own, even like my own health. Like it's all, to me, it's all a parallel. That's so interesting because I talk about entrepreneurship as this incredible tool for self-actualization. 100%. And I agree with you that not everyone gets there. Not everyone uses the tool in a way that it could be used for that purpose. But for those who do, it's a really powerful, liberating tool for self-awareness and for helping us to uncover these kind of hidden mindset problems that we mm-hmm. have created for ourselves or we're born into or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. And so this last situation that you're talking about that happened a year and a half ago. So what switched for you at that point once you had this realization that you needed to have a different relationship to money or be more cautious? Like how have you changed your behavior? I have never been so I'm gonna go back a little bit to answer mm-hmm. that question. So for the majority of my business growth, I did not pay attention to the numbers at all. I'm not a numbers person. I admire people who can do math. I am not one of those people. I failed grade 10 math. I had never taken another math course. I had never taken an accounting course or a business course for that matter in both high school or university um, because I was under the assumption that I suck at math. And So I had never paid attention. I look and looked. Now we have loads of spreadsheets and lots of people managing money because it's not my strength. (laughs) But I looked at the bank account, you know, prior years growing. I was like, okay, cool. We have money in the bank. That's all I needed to know. And so I never paid attention. We never tracked it. I didn't track where the money was coming from. I didn't track how it was being spent. And that was obviously really irresponsible and really inappropriate, but I didn't know better. And that was how I was able to grow. For me, when I go into 
the sort of money conversation and the legal conversations and the accounting conversations, that completely takes me out of my creative flow space. And I have to really focus and it's really draining because it's not how my brain necessarily processes. And I'm okay and I obviously have to do it, but I can't be in that zone for too long. Otherwise, I don't show up authentically and I'm not able to vision the company forward because I'm too concerned about the dollars and the cents versus, and this is the attitude that I've cultivated over years with a lot of therapy, I 100% in my bones trust that all will be well. Like whatever that looks like right? I know it. I don't have to worry about it. So when I have the money people coming to me and saying, you have to be careful. I'm like, keep it to yourself, sister. Like, this is fine. Like, let me just do my thing. You do your thing. We'll have the conversation when it's over. Right? I got this. Like, I know what I need to do. It's not that I'm oblivious. I know how many sales we need to make. I know what's, I know, but I only know top line. That's all I need to know. All I need to know is how many people I need to serve and how many sales we need to make and I'm good, right? Don't come to me with this situation and this situation and this situation because if that's not information I need to worry about, you need to worry about that. So that has become crystal clear to me over the years. That's why I ignored money for so long was because the worry about it, are we going to make it? Are we going to be enough? Are we going to be okay? Takes me out of faith. Mm -hmm. I already know we're going to be fine. I'm not worried about it. I'm genuinely not worried about it because even if we're not fine, we're fine. And that's how it's supposed to be because, right? And so this is the mindset that I've cultivated over the years. So with that being said, I was acting irresponsibly and I wasn't looking enough at the numbers that I needed to, to ensure that we wouldn't run into a cash flow situation. And at that point, even I would say up to a year and a half ago, we didn't have the process in place for enough checks and balances. That's all it was. It just, there wasn't enough checks and balances in place. And we weren't communicating with my money people because when you, I mean, this is getting into the weeds a bit, but the situation was we were having a launch And we were putting out over six figures in ads, right? And we had payroll at the same time. So we weren't, and I didn't have at that point, I didn't have the savings accessible. I wasn't using the savings. I was using cash flow money. So I didn't have it separated. I was using cash flow money, payroll, this, that, the other thing to fund the ad campaign, which is not what we do now right? So I was using that to fund the ad campaign, which dropped our cash flow money down significantly so that we were coming up in payroll. And within a two day window, we were going to have to do payroll. And I knew how much more we needed to put out for ads. And it, we were going to run into a bit of a situation. And it was only because we were using one bank account and we didn't separate it. Yeah, totally. So yeah, yeah. Well, so what goes on in your mind, though? Because I think that understanding, so most people who encounter a situation like that, and I feel like any of us who've reached a certain stage in business have had these problems, have run into these situations. It's totally normal. (laughs) Cash flow happens. So, but 
I think for newer entrepreneurs or people who are just beginning their journey, they're going to listen to stories like this and either be paralyzed by fear or be confused about how do you ever want to be in a situation where you encounter that. So in your mind, what went on for you? Because I don't, based on what you've said so far, I wouldn't, like it obviously didn't debilitate you like it would some people. So what happened? How did you handle that? To be totally honest, I said I wouldn't take a paycheck if I didn't need to. Like if, yeah. because I, it's my company, I obviously get paid the most. And well, actually that's not true anymore, but it was then. Now we have salespeople, <laughs> commission salespeople. But I said, I wouldn't pay myself. Like I would run off, like it's fine. I have personal money. Like I didn't need to pay myself for that pay period. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Because as the leader, the buck stops with you. And I would 100% never go to anybody and be like, I can't pay you. You know, Mm -hmm. I'd sooner take money out of my credit card and like pay the percentage or whatever than like have that happen. But we actually went back and we looked at the days and we knew that it would be okay. And if I had to just reduce ads, we would have reduced ads. Like there were so many, you know, instances, but what that lesson really was. So there's two ways I could have handled that. I could have flipped out. I could have had a panic attack and a meltdown and like blamed all the people. Like, how could you let this happen? And right. I was like, okay, cool. This is not a comfortable situation that we're in. What's the lesson here for me? Because the buck stops with me, right? I blame nobody. You know, if mistakes happen, what's the process? I am responsible. So I was like, okay, we need to now have quarterly meetings with the accountants and with the money people to tell them the budget so that they can help us plan so that they can tell us how much money we need to put away right? Every month to fund these ad campaigns or whatever the case may be. So I have cultivated this mindset of what is this particular situation here to teach me so that it doesn't happen again, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what it was. And since then we will, I mean, we might have another cash flow, who knows, but like we are putting in massive layers to ensure that that doesn't happen again, because that's the most uncomfortable I've felt in terms of I effed up in a long time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're listening to this, like I had that issue when I was starting to where it's like, I'm looking at the paycheck and I'm looking at the bills and I'm like, I'm gonna have a problem. You know, that's why credit cards exist to be totally honest. Like when you're just starting and I had no issue going into debt. I, and we can talk about debt and how it freaks people out, but I had no issue going into debt because I knew that if I needed to get three jobs to pay it back, I would. I just knew that about myself. I, it didn't matter. I wanted the business more than I was afraid of the fear of not being able to pay the debt back. And so if I had to use credit cards to live for a month or two because the money coming in was less than the bills, then so be it. That's what needed to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think that's so refreshingly honest. And many people stop themselves from taking action because of that exact fear. And I think we don't question whether that's a rational or an irrational fear in business. So obviously, consumer debt is a massive problem. And business debt is a very different animal than consumer debt. And so thank you for, for saying that because businesses essentially function on debt. I mean, every business that you can imagine, if you really look into the numbers, you had to get successful somehow. So in the industry that I'm in, people have angel investors or venture capital, and that's debt, right? And then in smaller companies or bootstrapped companies, credit cards Mm -hmm. or 
loans from friends and family. I mean, that's how there's no other way to get started unless you're absolutely independently wealthy and you can self-fund, in which case it's still debt to yourself. I mean, it's <laughs> it's still yeah. debt. So yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah. Can I just share one thing? One of the yeah. things that I did, which I hope will be helpful to everybody, is I very early on, I decided what my rock bottom would be. Like legit, what would I tolerate in the sense of how far could I push the risk of growing? Because I knew what I would tolerate as my rock bottom. And I did this when I actually decided to go online because I needed to invest in coaching, which was money that I didn't have at the time. And I was a single mom at the time and I had two babies to take care of. And so I actually sat down and I really thought about what I would tolerate as being rock bottom. And it was living in my parents' basement with my two kids in one bedroom, eating food from the dollar store for six months. Like to me specific, like that actually was my rock bottom. Like if I'm not anywhere close to that, stop worrying about it. Like I decided what my tolerance would be. And so then my debt didn't matter because I wasn't at that rock bottom. Once I hit that, then I had to reevaluate and reassess. But until I hit that, it was like full steam ahead. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's a great exercise for people to consider doing is to know what your limits are, because then you have the freedom to operate within those limits without questioning every decision or every problem that arises. So that's great. Yeah. And so I'm curious, how do you deal with this issue with your clients? Like I imagine this, like it does with us, it comes up all the time because everyone, especially women, I think we have a lot of emotions around money. And so how do you... How do you address this when people, when your clients come to you yeah, with this problem? It's really, it's a really interesting conversation with women. One of the things that I ask women when they come into our program, what is the take-home salary that you want to have? And they don't know. They've never thought about it before because typically a salary is just given to you. You don't get to decide it. And I think, you know, first and foremost, if you've never thought about how much money you want to make personally and how much you want your business to make, that's where you need to start. We, so with our clients, we really do try and take the emotion out of it. We look at the numbers and we're like, okay, you know, what is your monthly investment that you're going to be able to comfortably, whatever that means for you, put into your business every month? What's that number? You don't know? Okay. Go speak to a spouse if there is one. Go speak to whoever you need to speak to. Reconcile your bills. Figure it out. If it's $50, it's $50. If it's $300, it's $300. Like we just get really real. We just remove the fact you might be scared to invest that. We can deal with that after, but let's actually look at the numbers. Like that's for you and your therapist. And let's, we're here talking about business. And so let's get the numbers sorted so that you can go back into your creative mode and create right? Because not paying attention to the numbers was a big mistake that I made. And let's not repeat my mistakes. That's why people are paying us as coaches is to not repeat those mistakes. So right away we get into the numbers and we look at what are your business growth expectations versus the amount of startup capital that you have. Because if your expectation is to make six figures and you have $200 a month, that's not, 
reconcilable. Mm-hmm. Like that's in this day and age, it's just, and you're starting from scratch with no audience, nothing, that's likely not going to happen. And so we just get really clear on what is the debt level that you have? What is the startup capital amount that you have? And we use those words because those are proper business terms. You know, even though we're all, at least my audience anyways, all alternative health practitioners where like money is this huge thing. If we actually talk like business owners, it changes the energy around it. I don't care whether you want to invest it or not. If you, this is your goal and this is where you want to get to, here's what needs to happen in order for you to get there, you know, and your level of discomfort around that. I mean, we have other conversations about recognizing that and doing the work on it. That's just a choice. You can choose to not do the work, in which case, good luck to you, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) respectfully, or you can and you'll get to where you want to go. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. And what about... Because I think a lot of times meeting financial goals is tied to a specific timeline. And so that's one of the things that we've uncovered in our work is that people have audacious goals. Like they want something to happen much faster than is reasonably yes. possible, right? Also in this day and age on the internet. Yes. And so what do you do? Because I think it's really tied to the money mindset For issue. Sure. So how do you break that news? Yes. I love this because I love showing the reality of growth to people based on numbers. So we have specific numbers that we track that we've tracked for a lot of our clients. So we know industry, let's say industry standards on conversion rates, right? And so I'm going to go numbers now. So, but these are like fun numbers, not like the numbers your accountant sends you. So if you want to make, let's say six figures, let's just take that as the example. You have to know, first of all, like what are you charging in order? So that's a number you need to know, right? What are you charging in order to make that? And then how many clients do you need to acquire in order to make the six figures, right? So let's say it's 997, just for simple math, and you need 100 people, right? Then we just work backwards. So we work backwards based off of the goal. So if you want 100 clients, then okay, how many sales conversations do you need to have? You know, if you go off of a 30% conversion rate, which is typical if you're on the phone, if you're doing a webinar, it's about 10 to 12%. So we just work the numbers, quite honestly. And then we can be like, okay, so let's say you work off of a 30% conversion rate. So how many people need to actually have a sales conversation with you? Okay. Then if, let's just say, I'm not doing this math, but let's just say you need to have 500 sales conversations over the course of the year, let's just say to make 100 sales, right? I know that math doesn't add up, but let's just pretend, right? Then you work backwards and you're like, cool, how many people do you need on your email list in order to book 500 conversations? Okay, cool. You have zero people on your email list right now. Let's say you need, let's just say 5,000 people on your email list. The average cost per lead is between two and three dollars right? So if you say that you need 5,000 people, I'm doing this math on a calculator, it's fifth, right? And the average cost per lead high is 
$3, you need 15 grand over the course of the year invested into paid advertising with no other cost associated to it at all in order to acquire that. Now, you could be like, well, what about organic traffic? Sure, but we can't track the growth of organic traffic in the same way that we can track paid ads. So let's look at the numbers. Do you have $15,000? No. How much do you have? Then we can go growth, right? So it really is, let's just take the feelings away. Mm -hmm, Like if we just literally take the feelings out of it and look at the numbers based on average conversion rates, which is 10 to 12% if you're selling off a webinar, 30%, these are low numbers, 30%, but I always like to go low, 30% if you're on calls, right? What's the percentage of your open rate? Like there's like, you got to know the numbers in order for me to be able to be like, this is realistic for you, or this is not based on your ability to fund growth. Take away the feelings. It's not Mm -hmm. good. It's not bad. It's just, these are the numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so helpful. Thank you. And I think you're also hinting that there are 500 phone conversations that have to happen too. So in addition to the investment financially, you also have the massive time investment to look into. So it's just a matter of doing the work and putting the money in. And then you're probably going to, I mean, you're going to get within a rounding error, you're going to get the results, right? I think that's what we see over and over as well. But you have to be willing to do the work and put in the investment of time and money. And 100%. And then it's just math. And, and then it's honestly, it's just math. Like yeah. it's just math. And I think that's where people get really caught up. Now there's a caveat to that. There's a lot of people that are listening to this that are like, I put in the time. Maybe you don't have all the money right now and that's cool. And you're like, but I'm putting in the time. I'm putting in the time. The question I would ask would be, what are you doing with your time? Right? Because I get that there is a deep correlation between you feeling like you're working very hard and no money in the bank to show for it at the end of the month. I get that correlation. It's disheartening for sure, right? I get that, which is where the triggers around money and all of that stuff probably come up like, I'm not making sales. I'm not making any money. You know, am I really going to be able to do this? Am I, you know, am I good enough? Like I completely validate that 100%. I want to give you a phrase that actually is not mine, but it came up at our live event that we host every year called the Wellness Business Summit, where we had a panel. And one of our panelists said, you have to recognize the length of your pre-revenue stage. And I was like, oh my God, pre-revenue, right? You could be pre-revenue for an entire year. That means that you're dumping money into your business for an entire year because you're pre-revenue. That might be the way it has to be for a while. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that because most of us don't come from an MBA type background, we have so many feelings and so much self-worth issues tied up around this whole growth process that we forget that pre-revenue is a legitimate thing that businesses go through. Mm -hmm. We don't know that that's a thing and we forget. So we're like, oh my God, I must be doing something wrong. And then we come up with this like whole money block situation you might not have like really, I would say, I don't want to say bad, but like deep money blocks. You just might be pre-revenue for longer than expected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Or you might just be 
on a slow growth trajectory because you're not willing to invest the money in paid you don't advertising. Have the time because you don't have yeah. the money. Like it might not be that you have money blocks. It might not be that you have all these triggers. It just might be that you don't actually mm-hmm. understand because you were never taught the growth of your business or business yeah. cycles in general. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that for us in our business, that's it was so liberating for us to be in the startup world and to go through an accelerator and to be one of only two two companies out of 12 that had any revenue, so to speak, yeah. you know, where these companies are revered and put on stages and paraded through VC firms who have never made a penny and have you know, teams and real expenses and office space. And yet that's just normalized in the business yeah. world and in the startup world. Yeah. yeah. Same for me. Like when I first started taking my business online in 2011, 2012, I joined a mastermind where it was me, two other women and all men. And I didn't know what money blocks were until I'm not even kidding, like two years ago. Like, because I was in a world of men. Mm-hmm. I grew up online in a world of men. This was not a conversation that we had. It was how much do I need to invest? Okay, let's do it right? It just, it wasn't a thing. I honestly, like people were like money blocks. I'm like, what is that? Like I, I obviously had some, I had money issues. I wouldn't say I had money blocks. I had issues. We all have issues, but I, it was never a conversation for me. So I think in that way, I'm very lucky because I think too many women are having that conversation too much and making it I don't want to minimize it because I know that some people are in a very uncomfortable and not healthy relationship to money. I get that. But I also think that it's okay to not have money blocks. It's okay to spend money. It's okay to want to make a lot of money. It's okay to not be on the side of money blocks, which nobody really talks about. All we ever talk about is the money block conversation. And then there's all these women out there who are like, I don't have an issue going into debt. I don't have an issue making a lot of money. Like what, where's my conversation, you know? And so I think it's okay to not have money blocks. I think it's okay to be cautious. I think it's okay to be responsible. That doesn't mean you have money blocks. That just means you're responsible, right? And so I I think taking a really good look at how either earning or non-earning makes you feel can determine whether or not you actually have a block. Whether we earn money or we don't really doesn't, I mean, of course we strive to earn money and we have goals and we push for growth and all of that. But honestly and truly my self-worth at this point in my life, it doesn't sort of rise up or go down based on whether we hit our financial goals every month. It doesn't. It just, it motivates me to work harder and to see where we went wrong. But me as Lori, I'm not a better or worse person because my company made a certain amount of money. It's pretty cool. But me personally, I've worked hard to not have my identity wrapped up in the amount of money that we make. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's great. That's so liberating. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Okay, so let's go ahead and dive into the joy and hustle part of our episode. So at the end of every show, we ask ourselves or our guests to share a joy and a hustle. So a joy is something that's bringing you joy. It's a book or a tool or a candle or whatever, like new sheets, who knows? And then the hustle is a business tool that that helps you grow your business. 
Yeah. Okay. So the joy is that I just had my house organized by a professional organizer. Oh my gosh. And I can't even tell you the joy that like shoe racks and hat racks and everything is bringing into my life. I moved into this house almost, I would say almost four years ago now and nothing had a home. So everything was just like in drawers and this and that. And I don't have a lot of things. I'm not a keeper of things, but everything, I don't know. It was like a season of I just need everything to have a home. And so the joy of looking around my kitchen and like my bathroom where like the Q-tips now are not in the Q-tip box anymore. Like they have a home and like, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's like pure joy that I recognize I would not have been able to afford a couple years ago (laughs) Um, to have that. And then the hustle there's always the hustle. I love the, honestly, I'm one of those, I'm like, I love the hustle. And so the hustle right now is actually integrating an entire sales department with multiple people into my business so that we can support our fast growing community with the right tools for them. Because quite honestly, we found, I was feeling bad that we didn't have enough people to act as advisors and specialists to advise people on how we could best support them. So sending email, doing webinars is one aspect of sales. And to us, sales is just a support system, right? And so I wanted our company to be able to have more boots on the ground, to be able to support people, to give them the right opportunity for them to come and work with us so that they could then grow their business. And so we've created an entire sales department with process and this and that so that we could learn how to do it and we could grow and we could expand and help more people and actualize our mission. And then also perhaps in the future, teach it to our clients who are at that phase in their business too. Cause I would never teach something that we've not executed and iterated ourselves. Hmm. And is that an internal, those are employees? For you, those um, are they're consultants. Yeah, consultants. like they work uh-huh. for me full time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. O- okay. And where can folks connect with you online? Um, I think the best place there's two places. So Instagram at Lori Kennedy Inc. So I'm in my DMs. Please come DM me. I always say that all the time, and people are like, I don't want to bother you. I'm telling you to. So permission granted. And then the next place would be in our free Facebook group called Take Your Health Practice Online. It's a free Facebook group and we provide an enormous amount of content and resources in there. So those I think would be the two best places. Great. Thank you so much, Lori. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free. 